Hello, I'm Charlotte Hawkins and welcome to Last Past and Blast. Each week we'll delve into the musical lives and memories of a different guest and each guest will choose three pieces of music. Their last, which is the latest piece of classical music they've been listening to, their past, a significant piece of classical music from their life and a blast, their wild card. So keep an ear out for guilty pleasures. Together we'll explore the way music has shaped their lives and what it means to them. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Alexander Armstrong. We'll hear about the music he puts on to get his sons to help him tidy the kitchen. Could there be an Armstrong family single on the way? How he hosted a private pointless session for none other than the Queen and why we'll never see him on Strictly. I'm delighted to say that joining me this week is my fellow Classic FM presenter, Alexander Armstrong. Hello to you. Hello, Charlotte. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. It's lovely to be here. This is fun. Oh, it's lovely to have you. I know. And I was going through what I should introduce you as, because I've introduced you as my fellow Classic FM presenter, but you're comedian, presenter, broadcaster, actor, singer, traveller, Voice of Danger Mouse, no mm, less. Mm. I mean, that's that's quite a wide span of things you do, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I'm not quite sure how it ended up being quite such a melange of different things that I ended up doing. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I, I suppose I followed my nose. No, that's not true. I've just said yes to any time, any time anyone's <laughs> asked me if I want to do something. I, if it's something I really fancy, I say, yeah, love to. Yes, I started out doing comedy. Actually, that's not true. Before I even did comedy, I was a trained classical singer. So um, yes. that was my background. So things could have been very different, couldn't they, then, if you'd followed the music route? They could have been. And I, I kind of didn't follow the music route. I took a conscious decision that I probably wouldn't. It's just... And the truth is, it's an, it's an incredibly demanding career, professional music. And I think you have to be so completely wedded to it that you don't mind spending your entire life travelling the world. You know, you, you basically live out of a suitcase in budget hotels. Basically. That's that's roughly how it works. And you'll, you'll see your family once in a blue moon. And, you know, I just thought, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's the life I can commit to. So I, I stepped down from a sort of semi-professional uh, way of singing to just doing it for fun. So it's it's something I, I've only ever done, you know, I'll dep occasionally. I'll go in and sing some things. Um, I occasionally get asked by nice people to go and sing things. And Warner's offered me a, an album deal a few years ago. So oh, I was going to say, you've had albums, yeah. chart-topping album. I mean, well, you know, congratulations well, on that one. So, you know, it's you managed to do the singing at the same time as well as everything else. I managed to, yes, exactly, just about cram it in. But then, yes, I did comedy, which was lovely. Um, and I did that, I guess, from... I left university in 92, started doing comedy immediately, and I've sort of I've, Armstrong and Miller was uh, so I worked with Ben Miller and we had uh, we had a number of series first on Channel Four and then on BBC One, and that finished in 2010. So um, yeah, I got a good run out of that. That's pretty pretty incredible. Sort of 17, 18 years of of doing comedy, and um, around about that time, Pointless came along, which was nice. Um, so I started doing. Started being a quiz, show, being a game show host, which is a brilliant thing to do. I mean, I don't know if you remember because I was on 
pointless celebrities how, back, how, and I think it was quite a few years ago, actually. How could I forget? 2011. Yes. How did you How did you do? <laughs> well, I got a pointless answer, but I have to admit to you the secret behind that one, because I didn't quite understand the rules at that stage. Oh. And my pointless answer was um, a memorable one. The June in Grebe, of course, you know, that well-known flightless bird. But because the person before me had got the answer wrong, I assumed there was only one wrong answer. So I thought to myself, great, I'm safe to go for the really unlikely obscure one because I know that must be the pointless one. And I mean, luckily, I was, was. right, but um, it was. Yeah. So who knew? But um, yeah, I think that was more down to me not quite grasping the rules at that stage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, it got you through. It got you it through, through, Charlotte. And a pointless answer is a pointless answer. It doesn't matter how you come about it. <laughs> it's true. And I love the fact that your most well-known fan, the Queen, has even had her own private session with you yeah. of pointless, hasn't she? Which is, a, I mean, amazing claim to fame. I mean, that was unbelievable. Um, I got a call from... Well, I mean, from the the woman who runs the, the Women's Institute in Sandringham, I reckon it was in April or something, the year before. And she said, this is absolutely secret. And you've got to, you can't tell anyone about this. But every year, just after Christmas, some, it'll be a Thursday. We don't know yet when, but it'll be sometime in January. We do a big, you know, we have a big tea in the village hall in Sandringham. Will you come along and be our guest speaker? And she said, because it's quite exciting because our president always comes. And I thought, well, I, I wonder, I don't dare suppose who the president is. But of course, the president <laughs> is. It is, of course, the Queen. And so amazing. There we were in this tiny little, little church hall, a parish hall in uh, it's, the village isn't called Sounding. I can't remember what the village is called. But um, there it was, me and 36 women, one of whom happens to be the Queen. It was just, <laughs> it was extraordinary. You know, probably the most... I don't know, the best known face on the planet, I should think. <laughs> Just in a, in a little church hall. It was lovely. It was, so, it was the most, one, it was a very sort of unremarkable, slightly rainy day. And they were lovely. They were so, so welcoming and nice and warm. It was, uh, it was great. I was terrified, obviously. Absolutely <laughs> terrified. Because I thought, you know, you stand up normally. I, I could speak to 36 members of a women's institute. You know, it'd be great fun. I'd be absolutely on the ball. But it just was having the Queen there. It meant that I was, the minute I stood up, I could hear my voice just going. Nothing like that for some pressure then. And she was pretty good at it though, wasn't she? She was amazing. I mean, she was really, oh. really good. Yeah. Let's get on to the music because I'm intrigued to know what your answers are going to be to this one. Because obviously, mm. you know, you get to play amazing pieces of classical music every day. So what is your one that you've chosen as last? So the latest piece of classical music that you can't stop listening to? Um, for some reason, it's, it's the Verdi Requiem. I've been I've been obsessing about the Verdi Requiem because there's a the the tune of the Arnius Day. I couldn't think what it was. I thought it was coming. I thought it was a Verdi opera. I was convinced it was an aria from La Traviata or possibly Aida. But it's so incredibly beautiful. It's just this very hooky tune, and I listened through to every single. I knew it was a soprano, and I was listening through to the the arias, 
all the way through lockdown, just trying to find this tune that I sort of vaguely had in my mind. Do you, do you ever get that where you there's a there's a I piece do. of music and you think, what is that? But I I love it. I can hear it, and I just ah. Uh. So yeah, and I. There's nothing more frustrating, is there, when you can't think what it is and you've just got to wait until you next hear it. Absolutely right. Nothing more frustrating. And then when you suddenly think you might know what it is, but oh, there's so many. The trail went cold so many times. I was trying to trying to track it down. But then when I found it, there it was. It's the Arnius Day from the end of the Verdi Requiem. And it is every bit as lovely as I remembered. Um, oh. So, yeah, I've been listening to that quite a lot. Slightly, uh, you might think, a slightly morbid beast to be, to be tuning into obsessively throughout Just the lockdown. Just a bit. But there you well, are. especially, is, is that what's kept you going over the sort of, you know, the weeks and months where we've all been a bit more tied to our homes, you know, mm. trying to stay sane. Is it is it listening to music that's helped you? Well, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I grew up in a household where we listened to music the whole time. Music was always, a, it was a big part of our lives. I didn't realise until, really until I got married, that that's not the same as it is for everyone. <laughs> we just <laughs> listen to music a lot. But it means if we've got stuff to do. So when we were little, you know, we would, if we had, if there was a load of washing up to do or the kitchen had to be cleared, we would just put a record on and we would we would get it all done together. You know, we would just dance around the kitchen and listen to stuff. Aww. So that's how so that's how I still do it now. And, you know, particularly in lockdown, you know, the house was all, every evening I would do, I would be in charge of getting the kitchen tidy. And I just bung on something that was just lovely, wang up the volume and off we go. I love the idea of that. But you've got four boys, haven't you? How, yeah. What do they make of your love of classical music? Are they sort of fighting for the radio dial, trying to switch it over to something else? Not really. I mean, funny enough, I've, I mean, I love all kinds of music. I love classical music. And I do. I mean, classical music is the music I, I really wallow in. But I mean, God, I listen to I love lots of different types of music. I love indie music. I love. I mean, I, I love even, I love, I'm very happy to listen to Michael Bublé. <laughs> if it's good, if it's a good song. <laughs> very happy to listen to McFly. I'm very happy to listen to Busted. I'm very happy to listen to anything, if it's a good song. It's um, all coming out now. So all every your, year, I know. All your musical revelations. <laughs> I know. No, I, but I have, I mean, I have my, my real favourites. I mean, The Killers, probably my absolute, you know, that have been for a good 15 years, I should think. But yeah, I mean, I you know every every summer I make a playlist for our summer holidays. We drive up to Northumberland every year, so I always we always have a Northumberland playlist which has got about forty songs on it. So the kids and I have kind of we've yeah we've we've learned a lot of music together. But we do yeah they I think I don't think they mind my my music tastes now. I mean it'll all change obviously they're not yet. Our oldest is thirteen. That'll that'll change oh. you know. But they're I mean they're quite. Um, Rex, our oldest, is, uh, I mean, he's a mad keen pianist. And so he loves Chopin, Liszt, Rachmaninoff. I mean, he really does. He's become sort of obsessed with it, with, with classical piano. So that's great. Our second one is uh, Paddy is a chorister. So he sings a lot anyway and has a great love of classical music. Edward, who's our third, is a sort of, he's probably more of a jazzer, I think, probably. I think jazz is slightly more his thing. But he and I listened to a lot of Oscar Peterson together and uh, Dizzy Gillespie we've listened to a load together as well. So, you know, we've, we've, yeah, it's, it's very nice having broad musical tastes. It means you can, like you, can, you can join in with everyone. I imagine you've got some, you know, you've got some kind of family sing-alongs going along. You can have an ensemble there with everybody and their musical talents. Do you know, it's about time we did, I have mm -hmm. to say. We've, 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 you know, there's, 
Oh, we were doing. I mean, listen. <laughs> here's here's a song from our from our playlist last year. Boom shakalak. I mean, what about that? <laughs> Boom shakalak. And we were singing along last summer as we were driving around. Everyone had taken a different part, and we we were all Aww. coming in on the thing. The harmonies were amazing. So yeah, you're right. We've got to we've got to start doing that. Actually, four part harmony was sounding just sounding fantastic especially with a, a catchy one like that well oh. we'll look forward to seeing that you know maybe you could release it as a single the armstrong Care, family single coming up next you wish for, Charlotte. <laughs> mm. um talk to me about your past this piece of music from your past then the one that really stands out for you as being a bit of a life-changing one actually i can i can put my hand on my heart and say the, the piece of music that really changed my life was was the overture to the gondoliers. And it, we went as a sort of end of summer holidays treat in 1977 to the Theatre Royal oh. in Newcastle, where the Doily Cart Opera were on, they'd come up on tour, and they were doing the gondoliers. I had never seen an orchestra play before. And we turned up to the theatre and we were sitting right up in the gods, which in itself is pretty exciting. You know, it's very, very, very steep bank to the chairs. Absolutely. And, you know, so that was that that in itself was fun. Looking down, you could see the orchestra in the pit there all tuning up and, you know, lots of sort of chromatic scales from the flute and things like that. And, um, and then um, the lights went down and the conductor comes on. We all clapped the conductor. It was all very, very thrilling. And suddenly the, the orchestra started playing. And I literally, it was like someone had, you know, it's it like someone had sort of flicked a switch in me. I just went, ah! It was the <laughs> most exciting thing I have ever, ever, ever heard. And I just sat forward in my seat, just couldn't believe it. I could not believe my ears or eyes. It was just utterly magical. And it's, you know, Sullivan knows how to write it. He can bang out a good tune. So it was a sort of introduction. It was love at first sight, really. And I... I adored every single minute of it. It was, ugh, it was electrifying. So how old were you then? Was that really sort of the first S moment that you came across live music like that, that really drew you into listening to classical music? Yeah, yeah it was. I mean, I, mean, I was seven. I mean, it, it's, you know, Gilbert and Sullivan, it's not dramatic, it's not Wagner, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's light opera, though it is. It's still opera, and it's still a great introduction to the... The effect, you know, the opera, they call it opera because opera means the works, the works. And they do just chuck the works. So it's music, it's acting, it's costume and it's bright and it's, it's you know, the, every possible effect that can, that can move you emotionally is working its magic on you all at once. In fact, I remember the, I remember the, the curtain going up at the beginning of Act One and just bright colours and people dancing and it was just... It was mind-blowing. I mean, you know, for some people, it's when you go to the pantomime, you fall in love with the theatre. For me, it was going to see uh, The Gondoliers. And actually, I'd always had this thing about opera. I didn't quite know what opera was. And I remember when we were little, we were very lucky because I grew up in Northumberland and Newcastle's incredibly well-served as a sort of cultural centre. The Royal Shakespeare Company would come up for three months of the year, so you'd have a residency there from them. The Doily Cart would come up. Scottish Opera would come and have a residency at the Theatre Royal as well. So we really had, we had the, the Northern Sinfonia as it was then, now the Royal Northern Sinfonia. And that, that was even before we had the Sage Gateshead. But, I mean, it was just, it was amazing how much fabulous culture we had there. And, and the North East still does have 
Um, but I remember my parents going off to the opera and I never quite knew what it was. I, I remember them being all dressed up and um, and off they'd go. I Particularly for the scent. I can remember my mother sort of smelling delicious. Off they went to the opera. I was thinking, what, <laughs> what is this opera thing they'd go to? I thought it was a thing that you kind of, in my mind, because I'd heard opera choruses on records, you know, this huge number of people singing and it was very dramatic. I somehow imagined that when they were going to the opera, they were kind of involved in it. Oh, I they were singing along or taking part? Well, taking part <laughs> in some way. I didn't realise that it was a thing that you just sat down and watched. I thought it was a thing that you kind of rolled up your sleeves and you got stuck in with the opera. I, did, I mean, who knew? <laughs> I mean, maybe other people did the singing, but I still thought you had a role to play other than just sort of sitting and watching it. In a way, slight relief to discover that it's a more sedentary <laughs> pastime. You know. At the age of seven, you might have been called upon to have uh, taken oh. part. Well, listen, this, this was when I was four and five, and I used to think the opera was a kind I don't know what I thought it was, but I thought it was a, a kind of fairy tale that you went on and you went in and sort of became part of. I guess like that sort of immersive theatre, maybe it was like that in my mind. I quite like the sound of that. Yeah, so do I, actually, now I talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> yes. it sounds pretty good. Exactly, it sort does. of bum-bum train, for, but for, for, for opera would be amazing. Yeah. And then, so when I finally did actually go to the opera, and it must have been because I'd kept, you know, I kept banging on about opera the whole time, because I was obsessed by the idea of opera. And, uh, and then off we went. And I, I really wasn't, I wasn't disappointed. You know, and sometimes life can be full of disappointments. I remember going to Piccadilly Circus, and I don't mind telling you, Charlotte, that was... Uh, that was very upsetting. I'd was been looking forward. I'd been looking forward to something altogether more, altogether more exciting than uh, just more some like lights. a circus. Very much more like a circus. But no, yes. the uh, the Dolly Cart Opera. Oh, they delivered in a way. Piccadilly Circus manifestly failed. And do you think enough's being done? I mean, we're talking about your sons obviously are engaged in music. They've been listening to it, but enough done at school levels to encourage young people to make sure that they still love classical music, that we're kind of passing that baton down. Nothing like enough is being done at school level. I mean, if you look, if you look across Scandinavia, learning an instrument is compulsory, I think up to the age of 16. In, uh, I think in Good Iceland, idea. I think in, I think in Norway as well. I think there are certain countries there where it is, it is compulsory. Everybody learns an instrument the same way that we learn maths compulsorily up to 16. They learn an instrument. And it means that the standard of musicianship is off the chart. And it's musicianship right across the board. You know, they're not, they're not all sort of playing Paganini. You know, but there are some of the world's best record producers are are now in Scandinavia. It's where, you know, it's where everything goes to be remixed, Scandinavia, because they have been for the last 10 years. It's just a phenomenon. And uh, we don't, we don't have that. It's, uh, I don't know what the route to this is. I mean, obviously, quite simply, you need, you, you need to have much better music, time made for music on, in the school curriculum. But it has to be done in a way that isn't really boring, because you can very easily put people off. I went through school kind of certainly in the first part of school not finding Shakespeare desperately dull because we, we were always taught you know we always taught Shakespeare and you think oh god Shakespeare again it wasn't until I was much older that I realized how much I loved Shakespeare you know it, 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 it was wonderful and I think you want to be careful with music that you don't do it in such a way that you put anyone off I don't know what the answer is in terms of that but I'm 
I don't know. I have a funny feeling, and this this is a bit of a new theory of mine. So just run with it. Let's see how see how see what you think of this. Since music, I mean, you know, when I grew up in the sort of seventies, eighties, nineties, music was it was all about the charts, and the charts was there was only one chart, and it was a very focal point of young people's music tastes. You know, we followed it absolutely religiously, and we watched Top of the Pops every Thursday, and we knew everything that was in the charts, and we knew all the Groups and we devotedly read smash hits and NME a bit later to make sure we were up on all the stuff that was happening and we just knew every last thing about bands and then we sort of reached a sort of area where suddenly pop music is now there are about twenty thirty I don't know forty different genres of of pop and no one's really interested in the charts anymore people very much have their own this sort of huge explosion of of different types of music and actually that's been very helpful because it means that there's no longer one chart anyone's interested in i mean you know people no longer follow what top of the box doesn't exist anymore and so therefore classical music funnily enough gets a bit more of a look in i think people are now much more open-minded about all kinds of different types of music and they're they're open to any music that's good it's not just a it's not a, a, a sort of clear-cut case of either being pop music or classical music people love all kinds of music and i think people are very curious about classical music and funnily enough it's sort of surging pop in a way on the fringes of pop music a lot of what was sort of celebrated about pop music in the in the 70s and early 80s we now think of as being a little bit seedy a little bit distasteful some of the attitudes of of rock music some of the personalities you know, from music, you know, we look at through, look at through the eyes of today and think, nah, not so sure about that. Quite a lot of, mm. quite a lot of Aerosmith songs you probably wouldn't want to play now on the radio. And, uh, you know, and I think classical music has just been there all the time. And it's, it, you know, it was never trying to, it was never trying to be trendy. It was just there, just being beautiful. And I think, I know, I know so many friends of my age who, who have, who've started coming around to classical music. I keep being asked by people to come up with sort of playlists for them of just things they could, that'll just ease them gently into, into classical music. Richard Osman, oh, there's a man with a, with a fantastic ear for music. He's, he's a, he has a sort of, uh, you know, an encyclopedic knowledge of, rock music, indie music in particular, you know, and I've been, he's, he's always said, no, 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 I, I draw the line at classical music. He's starting to listen to classical music. Is Even he? Richard Osmond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> listen, it can, it can happen. Is that your message? If you can convert Richard Osmond, you can convert anyone. Is that what you're saying? Exactly right. Yeah, I think that's exactly <laughs> right. But I do think, I do think there is going to be a, um, I think there is going to be a, classical music is going to come back. In a big way. And another interesting thing that's happened, I think people have stopped, you know, we had to go through a whole century of people writing just unlistenable music, you know, contemporary classical music from, I don't know, 19, 1925 onwards, the really, really highbrow tone row stuff, the sort of atonal music was just, it was, you know, you can't whistle it. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, I hate to be a fogey. Is that your but test of a good piece of music, of if you can whistle well, it? Well, it's got yeah. to be something that really moves you, you know. I mean, I'm, 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 a, I'm a huge Benjamin Britten fan. I know some people probably find Benjamin Britten a little bit, a little bit testing, but I performed a lot of Benjamin Britten. I think that's how I've learnt to love it. But I think in similar, modern jazz, I guess, for some people might, might be, is a similar thing. People quite like traditional jazz because it was easier on the ear. Modern jazz, you kind of have to educate yourself a little bit into how to, how to appreciate it. But... 
yeah, we we seem to have come through the the ringer of the 20th century where everything had to be just impossible to listen to. And, you know, there are bits of music that just sound like things falling out of a cupboard. It's We've sort of got beyond that now. There are some amazing contemporary... There's a wonderful choral composer called Owen Park who's writing just staggering things. I love them. He's got a group called the Gesualdo Six that we sometimes play on Classic FM. I think they are... They are truly exceptional. But I think there is there is a sort of new purity in classical music and in the enjoyment of classical music. I don't mean purity in a sort of pious sense. I mean a sort of purity of style in classical music. And, you know, also it started with John Elliott Gardner, I think, with his Monteverdi Choir and Orchestra and how he was refining, trying to play with smaller ensembles and just finding things that were a sort of quintessence of, of great performance. And... um. I think we're sort of getting there. And I think it, we, we've got some wonderful new young musicians emerging on the scene. There's Sheku, obviously, very famously, and his sister Isata. But there are plenty of others. There's a Amazing. wonderful cellist, Willard Carter, who's uh, who's about to break through. Um, an amazing saxophonist, Rob Burton, who's, who's just astonishing. I mean, there are so many really cool really cool young classical musicians who I think are going to break through. So, yeah, I mean, I have high hopes for classical music. Sorry, that's about the longest-winded answer. (laughs) You only asked me one question, and I literally went off on one. Sorry. It is important because we're talking about the future of classical music here, and, you know, I'm cheered on by the fact that increasing numbers of young people are wanting to listen to classical music, and also, like you say, the amazing young classical artists that we've got coming out. and also. I think those sort of artists who are a crossover artists as well, you know, someone like Tokyo Myers who blends Debussy and Ed Sheeran and I think kind of opens up different types of music to a whole new audience at the same time. Yeah. Let's move on now to your final choice, your piece of music. I'm intrigued to know what this one's going to be. So what is the piece of music that's your blast, your guilty pleasure, the one that you really blast out? I think, I mean, I've got lots of these, but the one that I'm going to go for is, is the, it's, a, it's a track called Independence Day by David Byrne. Now and then I get horny At night you do At night you do uh, David Byrne was the lead singer of Talking Heads, sort of main songwriter of Talking Heads. Brilliant yes. lyricist. The very last Talking Heads album, uh, it was called Naked, was, uh, had a very strong Latin influence. And um, with David Byrne's first solo album, he just took that Latin thing one step further. And uh, he's recorded an absolutely meticulous album of, of sort of samba and salsa bands. I mean, it's just, it's, it's quite extraordinary, the virtuosity of the players. You know, it's a huge, huge band. I went to see him once in, in playing in Paris and just to watch the band he had and the, the, they were so tight and they had all these different wind instruments playing in arpeggios, but all exactly together. So you've got this lovely feeling of a sort of, I don't know, like a sort of escalator of chords. It was just, it was astonishing. And that's a song, that's a song that I, I yeah, I'd listen to that. Any time of day, and I need a, <laughs> need a little boost. So you would just turn to this one as your one. What mm. I mean, does it put a spring in your step? Does it, it does. lift your yeah. mood? Absolutely. Does it chill you out? What what kind of vibe does it give you? Well, I think Latin America, Latin American music, just because they are so big on percussion, 
you can't fail to be moved by it. And they've got all these... There are so many instruments there that I, I long to know how they play. There's one, there's one instrument. Do you know the one I mean? I've never seen anyone play it, so I don't know what it... I mean, I must have seen someone play it, but I, I wasn't aware they were playing it. But there's one that goes... Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Do you know that one? Sounds like a monkey. Yeah, it doesn't even sound like an instrument, does it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I think it's a sort of stringed instrument on a, on a drum or something. I don't know what it is. But they have all these sort of different cowbells and blocks and, you know, and it's just so exciting. You cannot but be sort of moved to euphoria by it. I've got this vision of you switching it on, like, what, bopping around the kitchen or yes, something? Yes, washing or, up, drying up. Happens? Yeah, you've got me. That's exactly the scenario. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I, I've got I've got the boys quite well drilled now. They're quite useful with a drying up cloth and a bit of loud music. <laughs> we can uh, we can get the kitchen done in about a quarter of an hour. That's one that gets everyone going, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great one. Always a good. It's a it's an absolutely wonderful track. I'm a I'm a huge I'm a diehard David Byrne fan. So um, he can in my eyes do no wrong. But I do think that was one of the that's been that was one of the high points for me. In his in his otherwise spotless career. And what's your dancing like then? I mean, oh, you know, could we see you on Strictly oh, sometime soon? Is never this do you, do you switch it on for the dancing? <laughs> no, I'm afraid I really cannot dance. I just can not dance. Uh, so no, I'm afraid I'm afraid Strictly will uh, will it'll never it'll never happen. Oh, they all say that. They all do. I know. No, but it won't. Well, it won't because <laughs> I'd never I'd never see the family if I did Strictly. Do you know what I mean? It's every be every weekend. Oh no, there wouldn't commitment. be. Hang on, no, be every weekend till I got kicked off. Sorry, so I'd see tons of the family. Be fine. Yeah, you see, and that, I was going to say that's what happened to me. I had high hopes, and then a few weeks in, I realised, oh no, actually, this is uh, this is a lot harder than I thought it might be. So. How scared were you on a scale of one I to ten? Terrified, terrified. And the thing is, you know, you sort of think, oh, uh, you know, I dance around the kitchen with my five-year-old and nobody's watching. And you think, yeah, this is great. I could dance. But actually, when you step out in front of a live studio audience and 11 million people watching, I don't want to put you off or anything. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's probably the scariest thing I've ever yeah. done. Yeah. And you've got four quite po-faced judges there. I mean, yeah. I'm sure they're they're, they're lovely. Take you down. They're lovely in the end, but yeah, they 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 watch it very seriously. They they are looking and remarking on your dancing. I mean, that's enough to scare. That would give me yeah, give me nightmares. <laughs> but something that would give me nightmares is what you've been doing as well for your travel series with ITV, because you've been out across the Arctic Circle, yeah. sleeping in sub-zero temperatures, mm -hmm. swimming in a freezing ocean facing storms and everything else. I mean that was amazing. I just love that. That was a that was a colossal experience. I mean weirdly and I I have to admit this is I, mean, I hadn't really thought this through and no I don't think any, lots of other people have either. The arctic you kind of picture I mean, you, everyone sort of pictures it being a bit like Pingu. And obviously, I know penguins are in the Antarctic. I know that. I know that. Um, but people <laughs> think of a sort of... Yeah. They think of a sort of Pingu landscape where it's basically just an ice shelf. And that's it. That's kind of what I thought the Arctic was. Turns out the Arctic is... Uh, it's got loads of cities in it. <laughs> it's got huge conurbations um, where they have electricity and quite nice hotels. Um, and so I wasn't in an igloo at all. At no stage, apart from what, as you know, once I slept in a sort of a, a cool sort of metal igloo in a, in a, when we were staying in a hotel in, in oh, I can't remember, it's got 
oh lord i've already forgotten what it's called <laughs> luciat or something like that on the on the west coast of greenland but um yeah i mean it, it's quite it's, it's very sophisticated the arctic you know and obviously there are great snowy wastes great icy wastes for, for quite a lot of it of course but um there are you know you can you can stay in best western hotels in the arctic i was in, in, pleased to see but it was lovely yes the snow the, the swimming in the in the icy waters was that was the probably the the thing that really did scare me the most I mean, I get quite scared. I get a little bit scared of if I'm just jumping into a lake in Scotland. You know, that's a, a loch, I beg its pardon, um, in Scotland. But actually, yes, swimming in a... Yeah, swimming... It was with those mad... But they were lovely, but quite, quite unhinged, the guys I was I swimming with. I watched it and you looked like you just strode out there without a care in the world. I'd have been there for hours, oh. literally going in inch by inch. Yeah, yeah. Or were you kind of humming Independence Day in your yeah, head or something exactly and that's right. what got you through it? That's what got me through it. No, I wanted, to be, I wanted it to be over with as soon as possible. And that, the only way I could make sure that happened was by, uh, was by going out into the... Uh, Going out into the in, into the into the sea, and I had to sort of keep up with them. They just pace out there. They obviously know. Obviously, with the sea, you can't really do you know like diving into a cold pool where you just jump in and it all happens at once because it's the sea. You have to sort of wade out. So you, but the the trick is you've got to wade out and keep your just keep walking, and then it just happens. And there you are. I swam in it for about two minutes, and I, you've never seen anyone come out come out faster. I think I'll take your word for that one. I'm not sure that's one I'll be trying myself. The weird thing is they tell you you've got to, the thing you have to be really careful about is when is making sure you don't breathe in lots of water because everybody your natural instinct when you first get in the water is go <gasps> and a number of people <laughs> drown because they oh, go no. <gasps> and breathe in half a gallon of water. So there you are. I was about to say, is it one of those life-affirming experiences? But obviously not if that's uh, what happens. But, <laughs> but other than that, when you come out, when you emerge, is oh, it one of those oh, moments where you great. think, yes! I had nothing left to fear on that trip after I'd done my ice swimming. I mean, I, that was the scariest thing. At least that was the scariest thing until, yeah, until I met the, the Icelandic wrestler. That was quite, um, that was quite scary. When I was just hurled, she just kept hurling me to the floor. But anyway, yeah, no, it was it was lovely fun, and they were they were such nice people. I mean, particularly, I mean, the people of Greenland, I thought, were just amazing, amazing people. I think because they live in such a harsh climate, a place where you literally will you will actually freeze and die in no time at all if you're if you run into difficulties outside. Right across Scandinavia and that Arctic Circle, everybody has an inbuilt sort of, I don't know, they have a, very, a sort of community spirit, but a very, very strong community spirit because they know they have, to, mm. they have to gather together and look after each other. So they really do. Everyone looks out for everyone. I remember we pulled in, um, we were blocking someone's drive. We weren't meaning to, but we just pulled in off this road in order to get some nice shots just as we were driving on our way up to Tromsø in, in Norway. And we pulled in. Turns out we were blocking someone's drive. And these, these people turned up. Whereas in England, someone would wind their window down and say, can I help you? <laughs> can I help you? Which basically means bugger off. Yes. Um, what on earth do you think you're doing? Yeah what, do you, yeah, what do you think you're doing? Can I help you? They then, they waved and couldn't have been nice. And then they went off down, to the, down the drive. And then one of them came back and said, we just made some stew. Would you like some stew? <laughs> I just remember thinking... I don't know if I've ever been more moved by people whose so drive we blocked. They drive and they offered you, some, and they offered they you offered stew. They offered you stew. <laughs> I just thought, that's just heaven. 
You know, and the minute we arrived there, we arrived at um, Oslo Airport, and um, they were just they couldn't do enough to help us because we had a, something we had something like a twelve hour wait for one you know connection between flights. And, you know, we wanted to see if we could we could put all our we had all our camera cases and everything. And we had to take them. We had to check them out by hand from one flight and check them in by hand to the other. And rather we'd rather than have to be responsible for the 12 hours. We had to, we could check them all through. And the guy was they were so helpful and lovely. They couldn't have done enough to help us. Yeah. They were lovely. <laughs> I love people oh, in the Arctic. When you look back on those memories. Oh, it's been so great to talk to you. What I mean, uh, what well, we've got through pretty much all of the things that you've done throughout your life. But is there, is there another thing then? I mean, what else is on the list? You know, you've done presenting, comedy, singing, so much stuff. What what else is left? Well, I mean, I don't really know. I'm extremely happy, actually. I, um, I'd, like to write, I'd like to write something. There's a book I would like to write. And I'm very slowly putting it together now. So that is, a, it'll be a sort of, a kind of, um, a kind of young adult thriller. That's what I. That's my next. That's the next thing I'd like Sounds to do. Sounds intriguing. Well, well let's in that case, see. we will watch this space. Indeed. We look forward to that. Alexandra Armstrong, the novelist, coming next. <laughs> thanks so much. It's been great to talk to you. I really appreciate you joining me. All right. Thanks so much, Charlotte. Thanks, Xander. Bye. See you soon. Bye. It was so great to speak with Xander. A big thank you to him. And we'll all be trying out that test for a good piece of music now, won't we? Can you whistle it? Well, if you've been inspired by his choices this week, then let me recommend a listen for you. Sticking with the choral and opera theme, it's O Suave Fanchula on Nessun Dorma, the Puccini album by Jonas Kaufmann. It's so beautiful with the harp gently playing in the background, but it packs a punch at the same time. If you want to hear the music mentioned today, it is all available on the companion playlist. Take a look at the link in the show notes. And if you like what you've heard in this episode, then please do share with a friend and leave a review. It'd be great if you could, as it helps the show to be discovered by new listeners. So a big thank you in advance. This podcast is produced by Rene Richardson with Bea Duncan and exec produced by Chloe Murphy at Sony Classical. Mylene Class coming up next week. Make sure you join me for that. Bye for now. <laughs>